Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Lake of the Ozarks message podcast. Our prayer and desire as you listen to today's message is that it would be an encouragement and challenge in your walk and relationship with Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at ccloto.org or download our app in your app store today. Now, let's jump into today's message together. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 2. We're doing like a little four-week thing because we just finished Revelation, right? We never thought we were going to make it through, but we did, right? We thought Jesus was coming back before we made it through. But here, so we just had a few weeks, and it's Christmas, and it's like, let's really focus on the Christmas story. And the goal with the whole rediscover Christmas is I'm, I'm assuming we all pretty much know the basic storyline of the birth of Jesus, Right? And then you'll have a few people that get like really bent up out of shape when they're looking at their manger scenes at somebody's house, you know, because the wise men are right there, you know, and they'll get real snarky, like, well, you know, the wise men, they weren't there until at least Jesus was probably like two. He wasn't, they weren't there at the birth. And you just smile and nod and pat them on the head and, you know, just tell them to find something else to fight about. And, but I want to take the Christmas story and, there's, and just take it to a deeper level. And how does this Christmas story impact our everyday lives? Outside of, yes, Jesus came and was born and here is God with us, but there's so much more to the story that I think does impact our everyday normal life. And so if you have your Bible, Luke chapter two, we're starting in verse 22, reading all the way to 40. And so when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, right, because she gave birth. And almost any action that happened in a, in a Jewish person's life, you know, there was a response to God in that, even in giving birth. And so you know, there was a law for that that Moses gave down in the Old Testament. And so they had to go for purification. And they brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord that every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves. That's where you get that in the song. Or two young pigeons. That's how we know that Joseph and Mary were actually very poor because that was their offering that they were supposed to bring. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so the Holy Spirit reveals to him, hey, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. It's kind of crazy because then you'd be walking around every day like, hey, are you the Messiah? No, okay, good. I got another day to live, right? You'd always be kind of checking that. And when he came in the spirit, capital S, in the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, Simeon, took him, Jesus, up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for your glory 
and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel for, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then was a widow until she was 84. And she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their very own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom and favor, and the favor of God was upon him. And so what you see through the birth of Jesus you know, let it be an angel appearing and giving kind of a word of the Lord because we know angels were just messengers. Or if it was the Holy Spirit himself speaking to someone, we see this happen all throughout the birth of Jesus. You know, you have the angel showing up to the shepherds. There was some kind of interaction with the wise men where, you know, they're studying uh, their astronomy and astrology maybe a little bit, and then they're understanding Old Testament, and they see this star and they're following. And then you see, you know, Gabriel, he appears to Joseph and Mary. And then even here we have these kind of two obscure characters in the story of Jesus, Simeon and Anna. And I want to focus on Simeon's response. Because again, this is something that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, the Lord, revealed to him that again, he was not going to see death until he saw the salvation. And I love that, that you know, he's waiting on the Messiah. He knows he's going to see him before death. And the first thing that he says when he sees him, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Do we have that same heart that the moment that we think of and we look to Jesus he is my salvation. Is that the first thing that we go to? Because even if you look at the ministry and the life of Jesus, it was all about salvation. It wasn't just about the healing and the miracles, but it was about preaching of the kingdom. That his whole plan of his life was to come and to bring salvation. Do we have that same heart or do we run to Jesus like a genie bottle? And we just say, oh, please, Lord, and we ask for three wishes. Fix this of my life. Fix that of my life. Please give me this. Take this from me. Or do we just behold Jesus and say, I have seen my salvation? Because if we have that heart and that kind of eyes to see Jesus, it doesn't matter what he brings into our life. It doesn't matter what he takes out of our life that our lives can be steady because we're standing on the solid rock that is Christ. That there's nothing that could shake us as the body of Christ when we're standing firm upon knowing that Jesus is our salvation. 
Because a lot of times in the, in the Christian life, we can have that salvation moment, which started our faith, right? And we had that moment, and that's going to be different for each one of us. Sometimes we can get caught up in the emotionalism, and that's never good. You know, some people will come to the Lord and accept Christ, and they look just like this. Like, yeah, I heard the gospel. I'm responding to it. It's like, well, don't you want to cry? Don't you want to break down? Don't you want to just weep? No. But that doesn't, again, our emotions doesn't make our faith more. Faith is simply just trusting in Jesus. But then there's others of us that when we hit that moment where we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, yeah, we are absolutely beside ourselves. And so it's not our emotional roller coaster that makes our faith more or less. And we have to understand that because if that's not true at the moment of salvation, why would it be true for the rest of our life? Walking with Christ. Because how many times do we feel like we're far from God? How many times do we feel distant? How many times do we, or, or the other side of it, like because worship was perfect and Jim had that amazing solo and the drums were just right where I needed it and I just feel close to God. Well, if we're always chasing after that feeling, guess who we're not chasing after? Jesus. And the moment we lose that feeling, that emotion, then we feel like there's something wrong with our faith. To which go back to Psalms. That's why it's good to read the Psalms. Even my wife kind of says it. She goes, I love reading the Psalms. It's like reading David's diary, right? And to see how messed up and crazy his life is. And the struggle that he was having internally, knowing that, yeah, Lord, it feels like you have left me. But then he would always, at the end of some of those Psalms, he would always kind of yell at himself. But no, put your trust in God. That you, you know, your emotions might be all over the roller coaster, but my faith in God is secure. And so you look at Simeon, and he says this amazing little thing right at the end. Look at verse 32. He says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So we're going to geek out a little bit. That word light means foss. Properly, I mean, that's the, that's the word you would use in the Greek for light. But in this context, when we talk about light, we're not using it literally, but more figuratively. So in the terms, it's talking about what its result is or what it manifests, what it reveals. See, when we think about the light that comes in, it's not just the light, you know, that's coming from the object of what it, a lot of times we think of light, what you want to illuminate, so you walk into like a dark basement and you have a flashlight because you want to illuminate what is in the basement. Or if you're working on your car and you got the light so you can see all the different little parts, you think about light and what it illuminates. But in the New Testament here, it speaks far more of the source. That's what the revelation of light is for because it's the manifestation of God's self-existent life. See, divine illumination to reveal and impart life through Christ. Why we have to have a proper understanding of light is because this light came into the world not just to expose sin, but to reveal life. And if we are called to be the light of the world, that we are reflecting that same light, we have to have a proper understanding of that. That we as the light of the world that Jesus says, reflecting his light into the world, it's not to just expose sin. 
We're not a bunch of Christians with a flashlight to say, oh, there it is, you're in sin. Oh, look at that, that's sin right there. And oh, you over there, you dirty, rotten sinner. No, 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 no. The light, yeah, that's on good. That would have been a horrible analogy if not, right? <laughs> you're like, why has he got his phone out, this weirdo? The light was to shine to those in the darkness that there's life in Christ. And how many times can we get it wrong as Christians? Jesus didn't come to point out sin in everybody around. He already knew that. And we reread the verses in John 3. The reason he came into the world is because the world was in darkness, plunged into darkness and into sin. There was no, there was no reason to come into the world to, to share that truth. That was already revealed. The, the reason the light came into the world is so that we would see the source of light, Jesus himself, and find salvation in him. And so we, as the light of the world, need to be the same thing. Not where we're just casting light so we can see people sin and point it out. But we need to be the light of the world so that they would see there's another way of doing life. And his name is Jesus. And so this holiday season, right? Who's all gearing up to get ready to hang out with some family, right? And you're praying it up. Be like, Lord, put your arm around my shoulder and your hand over my mouth. Amen, right? Don't make me say anything stupid at the dinner table. Or you're just saying like, oh, I can't wait until my cousin or that uncle or that person, you know, my dad's gonna say something stupid and we're just ready, right? Because we know every year it happens. And instead of being knee-jerk reaction where we want to bring that light of exposing their sin and, oh, they need to get right and quit living in sin, you know, those were words that Jesus never really said. He didn't lead with that. He always led with grace. Still shared truth, but he always led with grace. It was always about not exposing what was going on, but calling them into another way of life. And that takes grace. And sometimes that takes some time because you can't take somebody where they don't want to go. And sometimes the best way to witness with people is just to sit with them. And when they're ready, not when you're ready, when they're ready, say, you know what? Maybe there is something different. Maybe there is something better that Jesus has than what I've been going after in this world. And we just sit in the tension and sit in the waiting. But it's not passively waiting. We're actively pray, praying we're actively sharing with them, loving them in the midst. And that what Jesus did? Did he not rub shoulders with a bunch of sinners? Just so he could call them sinners? Just so he could point out their sin? Nope. Because in the moment that they wanted something different from life, here he was to share that grace and that truth. And so we have to have that proper understanding of light. And when we look a little bit further, a little bit deeper into that, just that one line that Simeon says, that he's holding the baby Jesus, and he's saying, this is a light. And, and then it's two parts, though. He says it's a light of revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to the people of Israel. See, so many times we read the Old Testament and we hear, oh, this is, you know, and this could even invade our Christian faith a little bit. We think it's a different God in the Old Testament than the New Testament. 
the Old Testament's God the Father just wanted to smite everybody, you know, because he's an almighty smiter, if you know the movie quote. And then we get to Jesus, you know, we get to New Testament. It's like, oh, there's Jesus. Okay, good. There's, there's the God that loves us. But then you read John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, the Father loved the world that he gave his son. And we can, we can struggle with that. But what we see here is God's heart has always been for all people. See, one of those things we look at is the God of the Old Testament, as some people would say, he only had a heart for Israel. He could care less about all the other people that were around. It was just all about Israel. And Israel kind of thought that about themselves too. It's all about us. We're the chosen people. But then when you go back and you really read the Old Testament, what do you find? God has a heart for all people. And we need to have that same heart. Because again, all we do is merely reflect the heart of God to the world around us. And so if he has a heart for all people, and that's been from the very beginning, then why would we not have that same heart for all people? And every time you read that word all, let it be in the Hebrew or the Greek, you know what it means, right? All. That we don't get to pick and choose who gets invited to be a part of the body of Christ. God's heart is for all people. And so you see this two part. And the first part is that he's a light of revelation, right? And, and that's the same word, apocalypsis, that is about the book of Revelation. That's, what, that's why it's apocalyptic literature. Because revelation just means an unveiling or an uncovering. All of us are going to partake in some apocalypsis in the next day or two. That we're going to have this wrapped presence and we're going to reveal there's going to be a moment of revelation of what your spouse got you. And then there's the response. Was it a good present? Was it a bad one? And then you're going to fight. It's going to be great, right? Merry Christmas. No. So that's apocalypsis. It's, a, it's an unveiling or an uncovering. And so Jesus is a light of this uncovering to the Gentiles. Why? He's a revelation of Jesus, the living word. It's a manifestation, a revealing of Christ and his will because it was previously unknown. It was previously veiled. It was covered. When they, it was veiled. That has, that's a word right there. Because then when we fast forward to the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, and he dies on the cross, what happened in the temple? A couple of years ago on Easter, we had the big red curtain trying to mimic the veil in the temple, and it was torn. It was unveiled. It was revealed. And so he's a revelation. He's an uncovering to the Gentiles. They, they, they didn't even know that they had a Messiah. We, Gentiles, walking in ignorance, unknowing. This was covered and veiled from us. Now revealed and it's like, oh, we have this? Just like on Christmas. Right now I'm sitting and thinking about the things that I do not have. And then when I open up the present, now I have that? This is for me and so Jesus here is a, is a revelation, a revealing of the Messiah that we have as Gentiles. So many times we think that the Messiah is only for the people of Israel. No, that is not the Old Testament whatsoever. And we see this, again, it's hinted, it's, it's seen in little things like this, but we have to understand that he is a light to the world, and that would include the Gentiles. So why was this Jesus a revelation only to the Gentiles? Because we had no idea that there was a coming Messiah. And so if you would, turn to Isaiah, if you would. Isaiah chapter 9. It's, it's, it's a nice little Christmas uh, chapter 
that we, you read at Christmas time. And, and so we're going to, again, dive a little bit deep. And so if you look at uh, verse 2, this is what was said at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry in Matthew chapter 4. See, Isaiah 2, 9, chapter 9, verse 2, it was restated again in Matthew 4 when Jesus started his ministry. It said, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, and on them has light shone. But if you look right at the very end of verse 1, it says, a Galilee of nations referring to a multitude, a mixed, a Gentile area. And so these people, these Gentiles walking in darkness, Jesus came as a light of revelation. And we love verse six because it's Christmas, right? For to us a child is born, to us is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, his name shall become wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. We love that at Christmas. But it's telling us as Gentiles that this Messiah came as light because we were walking in darkness. But now look at verse seven. If you remember, remember what Gabriel had said to Mary when he said, hey, you're gonna give birth to the Messiah and of the increase of this government and of peace, there will be no end, everlasting kingdom, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So it's the same passage that is used, not just at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, that he would be a light to the Gentiles, but even at the proclamation of the angel Gabriel to Mary. And again, it is reflecting God's heart for all people. And Jesus even talks about this. John 12 Verse 46, he says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. That every one of us, when we were not putting our faith and our trust in Jesus, we were walking in darkness. But then somebody came into our life and shown us, revealed, gave us that apocalypsis of Jesus, unveiled that we have a Messiah, that we have salvation, and his name is Jesus. And and we put our faith and our trust in him. Now we walk in this light. And then the second part, you know, he's a light of revelation to the Gentiles, but he's a light for glory to your people, Israel. So this word glory, the, the Greek word is doxa, and it means exercising personal opinion which determines value. So if you have kids, they're gonna open up a present and hopefully, you, you, all of us parents, let's just be honest, right? We are shopping for that moment that when they open that and their eyes bug out, and it doesn't matter what age, like we want our 18-year-old and our eight-year-old to lose their ever-loving mind, right? That when they see, when they have this apocalypsis of their presence, and they're going to exercise a personal opinion that determines, what do we say? I've got to find my notes now. Value. This is the greatest egg. That's what we're doing. We want to see the glory of them opening this present. We want to see the glory from their faces that they're so excited. Like, there's not one of us that's going to, like, see our kid open a present and be like, meh. Be like, I will throw you out. You know what I mean? Like, I'll wrap you up and throw you into the lake. That's what I'm going to do. 
But doxa, exercising personal opinion which determines value. That's the meaning of the word. But it corresponds to the Old Testament word meaning to be heavy. That there's a weightiness here. Both terms, old and new, convey God's infinite and and intrinsic worth. That there's a value here. There's There's a heaviness. There's a substance. There's an essence of who God is. Think about when we talked about the Trinity, right? Crazy mystery that's sometimes really hard to grasp. The Trinity is three who's, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons in one. It's three who's and one what. This weight, this value, this heaviness, this substance, this essence, it's the whatness of these who's. So when we talk about the glory, it's the glory of the Father, God the Father. It's the glory of God the Son. It's the glory of God the Holy Spirit that they all have that whatness, that same essence, that same substance, because they are God. And that is the one God that we serve. So why was this light, Jesus, again, a revelation to Gentiles, but why was this light, Jesus, a glory for the people of Israel? See, this glory, this light was to identify their coming Messiah, where we as Gentiles walked in ignorance and had no idea, but Israel, they had prophets, They had prophecy. They had promises that God was going to bring about his Messiah. And that glory was almost like a spotlight on him, but actually it came from him to say, that's him. Don't miss it. Don't walk in ignorance like the Gentiles. You have promises. You have prophets that are pointing forward that you would know that's our Messiah. But we kind of know how the story ends, don't we? They reject their Messiah. I mean, think of the level of rejection. Because even at the birth of Jesus, remember when he comes up out of the water, what happens? You got something uh, like a dove, which is the Holy Spirit, coming down, resting upon Jesus. And then you hear a voice that says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Like that's saying something. When God the Father speaks, is to identify that's him. Don't miss it. Don't miss the heaviness of that. Like think of uh, Back to the Future. I love Back to the Future. Marty McFly, he's always saying what? Oh, this is heavy. Doc Brown's like, is there something wrong with the gravitational pull? No, this is a weighty situation. Like these are the weightier matters that Jesus doesn't want anybody to miss. He even says that to the Pharisees. You ignore the weightier matters of the law because you're worried about your dill and your mint. And even for us as the church this morning, these are weightier matters. Do not miss who Jesus is. Don't miss this glory that was used to identify him. Don't walk in that same rejection that Israel did of their Messiah. That God brought everything needed for a revelation to the Gentiles and everything needed for the glory unto Israel. But they reject him. If you would turn to the book of Acts you see Peter in his first sermon stand up and call this out, right? Because the Holy Spirit comes and and rests upon the apostles and they start speaking in different languages that these people knew. They're like, it's like their mother tongue, but when they're here in Jerusalem, it's like, hold on, that guy is speaking my language. How, how does he know this? Like, what is going on? And they're, they're perplexed by this. He, and the first question they kind of ask is, what does this mean? And Peter gets up and he's like, oh, I'll tell you what it means. And he takes him to the Old Testament. He takes him to the, the book of Joel. And he, he walks through and he does this whole sermon, right? And then 
all the way down to verse 36, Acts chapter two, verse 36. And he's talking about Jesus and he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, right? He's like, understand, he is the Messiah, he is God. He goes, I want the whole house of Israel to know that, that this Jesus is God, this Jesus whom you crucified. You didn't just say, ah, I don't want to go to the dance with Jesus. He's kind of, you know, kind of ugly. You know, I'm waiting for a better date. You know, we just didn't pass him up. No, we nailed him to a cross. The level of rejection is to the point of death. And it says, you crucified him. And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's when they realized that was our Messiah. They were cut to the heart. And Peter said, and, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, see, the first question is, what does this mean? It was an intellectual perplexing question. Now they ask, what shall we do? It's a response question. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, Israel rejected their Messiah and still to this day, Israel's amazing mission field. Why? Because they still reject their Messiah. But we as the Gentiles, do not reject the light of revelation that is given to us to show that that same Messiah came for salvation to us. Now, as it's Christmas, we gotta have the full Christmas story. And so if you turn to John 1, I'm gonna read a long passage of scripture. And I want you to hear how John is using both this idea of light and glory together in showing who Jesus is. Because it's not just this guy that shows up born as a baby in a manger. As we talk about Christmas, we always should read John 1. So in the beginning was the Word, capital W, Jesus, the eternal Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him, without Jesus, was not anything made that has that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, as John the Baptist. And he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him that he was not the light, not John, but came to bear witness about the light. But here's the key, verse nine, the true light, what gives light to everyone. See, that's the heart of God, that he would be a light of revelation to the Gentile and he would be a light of glory to Israel. So he was the light for everyone. He was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And he came to his own. His own people, talking about Israel, did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God that he came as a light to everyone so that we have an opportunity to receive him. And how do you receive Christ? You believe in him. And when we do that, we become a child of God who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt, tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory. 
glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And John bore witness about him and cried out, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Why? Because that light came for everyone. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Go back to Simeon's prophecy. For my eyes have seen your salvation. When we look to the light that Jesus is. He is a revelation and a glory for us. And the Christmas story serves to remind that Jesus is God, that salvation is found in him alone, and he is our light of revelation to us as Gentiles and a light of glory to Israel. And I think that's why Paul wrote in Romans some of the, like, I, I firmly believe these are some of the greatest verses in all of Scripture. Paul is writing, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who what? Believes. That's how we receive Christ. We believe in him. To the Jew first and to also the Greek. Why? Because he was a light of revelation to the Gentile and a light of glory to Israel. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, and he quotes Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. Understand the Christmas story, everything that we're celebrating about this manger that leads us to a cross, that leads us to an empty grave, that leads to the response required from every one of us. Why? Because that light came for everyone. So everyone has to respond to it. There's no non-athletes you know, athletes here. There's nobody saying, nah, I don't want to play. I just want to sit on the sidelines. No. Everyone responds to the light of Jesus. Let it be a revelation to the Gentile. Let it be a glory to Israel. Everyone responds to the light of Jesus. And the Christmas story calls for us to believe to put your faith and your trust in him. And God really has no heart to want to have the conversation, well, what if I don't? He says, you can make that decision. You absolutely can reject me. You absolutely can walk away from this light. That's not a conversation I want to have. Why? Because his heart is that we would respond and believe in him. And so in closing, we, we rarely do this. And it's meaningful of why we rarely do it. There's a couple things and we'll walk through it. I'm gonna give you an opportunity. If you've never put your faith, your trust in Jesus, we're gonna walk through a prayer of salvation. Now let's talk about it. Is there a prayer of salvation like that in scripture? Not at all, not at all. And does saying these perfect little words save you? No, not at all. We are only saved by faith and trust in Jesus. So why do we do the prayer? For me, it's just like baptism. It's an outward expression of an inward reality. How many times in life do you find something so valuable, so heavy, the weight of just the significance of this, right? 
Think of, think of you on your wedding day when you're trying to spout words across to this beautiful woman that's actually gonna say yes to you, right? Like you are, you are just dumbfounded and you can't find the words to almost express. And thankfully the pastor is there is like, hey, I'll help you out, just repeat after me. Because you are just so captured by the love. And that's just an earthly relationship. You have God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. Because of their what the candle did we light? Because of their love. Wants to be in a relationship with you. And so these words are merely just a way to express the inward reality that I'm putting my faith and my trust in Jesus. And the definition of faith, simply believing Jesus enough to do what he says. Because of our faith in Jesus, we're just gonna do what he says. So when we go to the holiday season, we gotta sit down at the table with family that really, we could go a whole nother year without seeing. Can we be honest about that, right? We're not excited to see everybody. If you're excited to see everybody, they're not excited to see you. you know? No. And, and normally we wanna get into you know, arguments and fights and we wanna you know, be real sarcastic and sharp with each other and it can be, you know, Try this instead. Put your faith and your trust in Jesus to do what he says. Be kind. Encourage one another. You know those things that grandma used to tell us, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Yeah, those are pretty good words. That's some good motherly wisdom that she's been caring because of her relationship with the Lord. But I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna ask that we as a church would respond I'm gonna give you a line, you respond. I'm gonna give you a line, you respond. And just say the same thing after me. Again, does saying this prayer save you? No. It's just an outward expression. It's a vocalization of our hearts for Jesus. And if this is the first time that you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus, I would ask you to do one more thing. Just come talk to me. No guilt, no shame, not a 12-step program to get you clean from sin just an invitation to be a part of the body as we're all just walking and what it means to follow Jesus. So if you would, pray with me. Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you. Your life, your death, your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lead me and teach me to follow you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. What's so crazy is salvation is so simple. That if you've prayed that for the first time, now your life starts. And it's going to be difficult because we are peculiar people. We're different. We have a different value system. Why? Because we've been shown a great light, that we've been loved, and we are continually loved by someone who is not of this world. And the response that he calls from us is different. And there's little things that he would love to see in us, and there's certain things that he would say, you know what, that, that behavior of your life, you're a new creation. That's, that's old things. And he wants to work in your life to start taking some of those old things off of your plate and to give you new life. And I just encourage you.
Walk with Jesus. Again, the prayer save you know, Jesus saves you. Now walk with him. And we would love, again, the Bible reading plan, get a brand new Bible, any kind of resources. If you want to come talk to me or any of the other pastors or staff, we would love to have that conversation with you because this is the greatest gift you will ever receive. And I think Christmas is a beautiful time to receive the gift of salvation of Jesus. So thank you guys so much for coming this morning. Tonight, 6 or 8 o'clock, We'd love for you to come back for our Christmas Eve candlelight communion service. Completely different. You will not want to miss it. But we know you guys have family things. Be the light of Christ to your family and friends this Christmas season. See you guys next week.